I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. San Francisco is often the target of national scrutiny. Last week, the city was in the spotlight for this. This is a story that has just gone wild online today. The city of San Francisco is considering an idea to pay $5 million each to black residents as reparations for slavery. Not surprisingly, the story became fodder for conservative media. We're talking about a racist program to benefit individuals who happen to be black $5 million. California was a free state. Who's going to pay for it? Why should they get $5 million? Because of skin color? It's insulting. It's racist. At the end of 2020, San Francisco created the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. The group presented its draft plan last week. It included more than 100 recommendations to empower Black San Franciscans. Among them, that controversial $5 million one-time payment. Today on Fifth Emission, Chronicle columnist Justin Phillips says if you're stuck on that figure, you're missing the point. He's been writing about the city's reparations committee for some time now. In his columns, he's pointed out some uncomfortable truths. Among them, the Black population is the only racial group in San Francisco that has consistently declined in every census count since 1970. Justin says don't let the viral headlines distract you. Reparations are about undoing a long history of specific harms targeted against the city's Black residents. The result is evident if you look around the city. Black people make up 5% of San Francisco's population, yet 40% of its homeless population. Justin will join me to discuss the progress of San Francisco's reparations effort, how it compares to what's happening on the state level, and why the way the city's board of supervisors are tackling the conversation is compelling in itself. Justin Phillips, great to have you on Fifth Emission as always. Thanks for having me. So Justin, let's get right to that $5 million figure that's got a lot of people talking San Francisco's Reparations Committee is calling for a one-time lump sum payment of that amount to each eligible recipient. Now, the committee has other holistic reparations recommendations, but because it's getting so much buzz, tell me, how did they come up with that number? (laughs) Isn't that the the big question? And I think it's far more complicated than they can actually explain it. You know, you got a bunch of community members who are working on this really important issue. But I think they took a lot of what we already see, like the disparities we see in lower black homeownership, the massive racial wealth gap, you know, how all of these things are byproducts of systemic racism, which itself includes the legacies of slavery, Jim Crow segregation, uh, redlining, you know, all these other anti-black policies that the state and the city especially helped push through and uphold. They're trying to put a price tag on that. And I think what they've done is that they've combed through history to look at certain moments where, you know, they think about how in the 1850s, Black people came here as slaves working in gold mines, how up to like the 1940s, there were no Black workers employed as, you know, anything from public school teachers to police officers, firefighters, even streetcar conductors. No Black people held those positions. Then they also look at education being withheld, how in 1863, the state had a law that withheld state funds from schools that taught Black children, and that included San Francisco. Then you look at the 1950s, and you have urban renewal, federally funded programs the city participated in that were the systemic coordinated 
destruction of blighted areas, which were predominantly black neighborhoods. And so you have the displacement of like 20,000 people with no legal protections about returning. Like you're looking at this robust history of anti-black policies on a state and local level. And they're trying to put a price tag on what today would help black people be able to get a leg up and get closer to that, you know, quote unquote, American dream. And then when you figure in the price of a house would be over a million dollars, all of that is tied into that $5 million. Mm -hmm. So it's not like some random number they came up with. There's actual history context that's gone into this number, but it's not like a neat mathematical equation, which a lot of people probably want, but it's not realistic to think about it that way, right? No, you're absolutely right. This is a tough conversation that's not going to have like a neat little bow on it. It's really hard to put a price tag on harms of these kinds. Mm -hmm. Things are still being figured out, but as the proposal stands now, which Black San Franciscans would qualify for reparations from the city? Right now, we're just looking at the draft proposal. And so what they have in there is like one requirement specifically, which is you've identified as Black or African-American on public documents for at least 10 years, and you're also 18 years or older. What's flexible are these other kind of criteria. Maybe you migrated to San Francisco between 1940 and 1996, and you have proof of residency in the city for the last 13 years, or maybe you're a descendant of someone enslaved through U.S. chattel slavery before 1865, or maybe you're a member of an historically marginalized group that experienced lending discrimination between certain points, like the late 1930s to the late 1960s. Like All of these things are criteria that they're still trying to figure out what actually works. And so I think there's more... um, flexibility in that discussion as they continue the process. But we have till next summer to see what they finally decide. Many people are critiquing the costs of reparations really closely, but it's also important to note, Justin, that San Francisco has been trying to steer public money towards helping Black residents recently. After the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Mayor London Breed and Supervisor Shimon Walton pledged to divert tens of millions of dollars away from law enforcement and towards programs aimed at Black San Franciscans. That launched in 2021, and it's called the Dreamkeeper Initiative, which you've also written about, and it's been quite successful. Tell me about the outcomes there. The Dreamkeeper Initiative itself is just this idea of the value of investing in Black communities in San Francisco. The goal is to invest $120 million. They've done $60 million since its launch in 2021. There have been many Black-owned businesses that have opened. There have been Black-owned startups that got funded when, you know, historically they would be on the outside looking in. There's been plenty of people who've had job training. There's even been, you know, a number of families who have been able to uh, close on homes to be able to actually buy homes in San Francisco. When what they're doing is addressing these historic wrongs by just dumping money into the Black community. And it's showing that it benefits San Francisco as a whole. And so how should the outcomes of this program, the Dreamkeeper Initiative, how should the city consider the outcomes of that program to its planning for reparations? The Dreamkeeper Initiative is not reparations, but it shows that if you just unapologetically decide that investing in the Black community is something you want to do as a city, 
it shows the benefits that exist in that. So I know the reparations conversation is going to be complicated because it's going to be harder for a lot of uh, officials in the city because, you know, reparations doesn't poll well nationally. It's not super popular in San Francisco. But if you want San Francisco as a whole to be a better place, the Dreamkeeper Initiative shows you that if you start addressing those legacy harms that Black people experience, your community is going to benefit. So speaking of addressing harms, I want to talk about the other recommendations made by the city's reparations committee. It addresses things like housing, education, and health. Aside from that $5 million reparations amount, what other ideas do they have? The committee itself has a lot of these ideas. And like you mentioned, the $5 million gets a lot of attention. But, you know, the rest of them are also novel approaches to addressing the legacy of slavery in this country. And some of those include supplementing the African-American income of low-income households to match the city's median income, uh, which is 97000 for someone in 2022. You know, they have another idea of subsidized below-market rate rental units to people who qualify for reparations. And when it comes to health disparities, They also want the city to build or boost funding to community health clinics in neighborhoods with a high concentration of African-American residents. It's dozens and dozens of ideas like this that should be given the same weight in conversations as the five million, but that number just jumps out to people. More with Chronicle columnist Justin Phillips after a quick break. How do San Francisco's supervisors feel about that $5 million number? And how is the reparations effort on the state level going? We'll be right back. Did you know the number one way people discover new podcasts is word of mouth from their friends? So if you enjoy Fifth Emission, we'd love it if you tell someone about our show, even if it's just one person. Thanks for helping us make new friends. Justin Phillips, San Francisco's Reparations Committee will submit its final report in June. There's another hearing planned for the fall, and no decisions have been made yet. But last week, the Board of Supervisors unanimously voted to accept the committee's draft plan. What are they agreeing on exactly? Yeah, I mean, they're just agreeing to accept it and just to have this conversation overall. Like, it's just a step in the process to keep this going until the final draft report comes. But it's not like they're taking any action. It's not like they've made any recommendations back to the committee. All they were doing was like, okay, we hear you. We got this document. We acknowledge it. And now the process will continue. Is there any indication of how the city's supervisors are feeling about that $5 million reparations amount because it's gotten so much national attention? (laughs) That's a great question. I think they're feeling that national attention. I've been like writing about this and supervisors have been kind of tight-lipped about it. And I think it's because they've been hearing the responses from their community members. And from what I can tell, like, you got to remember, all of these supervisors voted in favor of creating this committee to explore reparations, and all of them unanimously supported the draft proposal. So they're on board with this discussion. What I also think is interesting is the supervisors acknowledged the backlash that the draft proposal has received, and how a lot of that backlash is pretty racist and toxic. That backlash is also what's compelling them to want to continue this conversation in some ways. Supervisor Mandelman 
mentioned how that backlash shows why this reparations dialogue is significant. I have been struck by the overheated and irrational response uh, to this draft report that has come not just from media and not just from folks, you know, in other parts of the country, but from people right here in San Francisco, in some cases right in my own district. Um, and I think the, uh, the fury that this little report has inspired <laughs> among some people is itself evidence of the imperative of actually making reparation. In the back of my mind, I was thinking this, you know, potential public blowback was also going to make some of them have cold feet about going along with this process. Instead, it uh, fueled the fire that they have for it. And I think that's pretty respectable right now. Mm -hmm. Now, this backlash, like you mentioned, has been pretty toxic. I mean, it even resulted in death threats and racist letters being sent to the city's reparations committee. And, you know, as we've talked about in this conversation, there's still a really long way to go before anything gets approved. And you call it this kind of anger that we're seeing manufactured. Mm -hmm. What are the talking heads at places like Fox News manufacturing? What they're trying to make it seem like is that if the city goes along with reparations, especially if they have this $5 million, it's a lot of fear mongering. They're, they're trying to make it seem like someone else is not going to have the same amount. And I think that's the larger conversation with equality in any sense, where if there is a group that is always known to have more, and then there's another group where discussions are happening to elevate them so they can have an equal amount then that other group who always had more feels like they're having some taken away from them. Then you have this larger kind of conservative wind blowing around cities being quote unquote woke and how they're blowing an issue that's long ago out of proportion. They, they just want to continue conversations about race. And I think it's just like a lot of fear mongering around how reparations could somehow potentially be divisive. Mm -hmm. In essence, it's only divisive for people who don't want to talk about equality. But if San Francisco is a really progressive place, we should just be fine doing that. So this conversation in San Francisco is happening at the same time that California is trying to figure out its own reparations plan. The state's reparations task force is nearing a deadline to deliver its recommendations. How's that going? I think it's more complicated than what they probably initially thought it would be. And maybe they thought it was going to be super complicated from the jump. But all I know is that they initially had two years to complete it. They've asked for an extension on that time. So clearly diving into the depth of harms that Black communities in the state have experienced over generations is a very long process. They're having great public meetings. The discourse has been really great. They're not really close to putting numbers on anything. Like, I don't think they're close to any solutions. And I think it's going to be a uh, process that's going to take a little bit longer than, than even they might have realized at first. Do the parallel efforts inform one another? Will California provide a sort of blueprint for San Francisco or maybe for other local city efforts? That's a possibility. Or it could be a local effort that suddenly speeds to the front and informs the state's decision. The interesting thing about San Francisco is that they gave a number. Even if that number is nowhere close to what it ends up being, they did toss out a number and the statewide task force hasn't done that. Mm -hmm. um, and you have like other counties and other cities that are also talking about numbers. So there's a chance that, you know, you might see some municipality like jump ahead of the state. But I do think these efforts feed off each other. Mm -hmm. 
the state task force's interim report that they put out um, last year really helped shine a light on a lot of the inequities that Black people face in the state, but also like the history of racism in California. And a lot of the reparations work on smaller scales is feeding off the, the information that the state task force put out. So like the San Francisco Reparations Committee, their report also references the statewide task force report that came out ahead of theirs. Everybody is just kind of getting caught up when it comes to the harms and who informs who, like, I think they're all just kind of feeding off each other. Justin, we talk about San Francisco politics a ton on this show, and we know the city's board of supervisors are rarely on the same page, but they're unified on this, on reparations to Black San Franciscans. What does that say or mean to you? I think it's a nice thing. Like, politics in the state can be quite the battleground, essentially. And to see them come together on a topic that nationally is so divisive, it's hard not to see hope in that. I do hope in the long run it's more than just a conversation, but right now they're willing to engage in a painful conversation. And if they can do that in the face of intense criticism, who knows what can happen next? Like, I I think, you know, we're nowhere close to uh, a solution on any of this, but it feels like it's moving in the right direction. Justin, your insight's invaluable as always. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Justin Phillips is a columnist for The Chronicle. He writes about race and inequality in the Bay Area. To find his columns, including the ones about reparations in San Francisco, visit sfchronicle.com and The Chronicle app. Thank you to Francesca Fenzi for editing this episode and to you for listening. <laughs> 